Okay, well, welcome. This is the Tomahawk Show. This is our very first podcast, our first episode. I am Andrew Hawkins. Um, I would give a bio, but that seems a little weird. Let me do it for you. Okay. Seven-year NFL vet. I like it. One of the most difficult ways of getting into the NFL of all time. Of all time, of I like all that. Time. We'll get into that, I'm sure, at some point. Uh, ESPN personality. Yes. And also, the last guy on earth you'd ask to get... A can of soup off the top row of the grocery store. <laughs> yes, I agree. I, I would I would give that. There's a couple behind me. But I'm not against it. This is Joe Thomas. Joe Thomas is the first ballot Hall of Famer for all you guys that have been living under a rock. He is a 11-year NFL veteran, lifetime Cleveland Brown, which we will get into what it, what that was like. Um, All-American good guy. Um, and we would have like a, a, a ton of great conversations in the locker room, right? So that's kind of how this show came about, right? Because we're like, we're like two... We're like two different people from different walks of life on completely opposite spectrums. And we would have these incredible conversations in the locker room. And I was like, yo, this would be a perfect podcast. And that's how the Tomahawk Show was born. And I didn't even know about it. That's the yeah. best part. And then a couple years later, I decided to let Joe in on it. <laughs> By the way, uh, this is the Truman Show, and you've been living in my podcast for the last two years. No, so uh, you and I, we started playing together, what? Like 2014. 2014. We had... Two of the greatest years of our life together. It was yes. so romantic. Yes. Uh, but actually, I thought you were kind of a dick when we first signed you. Yeah. I was well, like, man, this Andrew Hawkins I, guy, I he came from Cincinnati, and he's not really talking to anybody. He's keeping to himself. <laughs> I'm like, what's this all about? Well, my thing is this, man. When you go somewhere new, and I don't know, like, and that's one thing about free agency. When you sign somewhere new in free agency, that sucks because you have zero friends. So when I came to Cleveland – you know, because it was economically the great situation for my family. I came <laughs> in here I, and I didn't know anybody. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just not going to talk to anybody all year. But then <laughs> you the figured that would be year, the best way to make the most friends. That was the best friends. way to handle it. And I'm I had not going to gonna talk to anybody. And I had to prove that I was like worth the money. Yeah. So I figured if I was like being myself, people would be like, man, why would we give this dude money? <laughs> this short slapstick <laughs> who just wants to make jokes all day. But the second year I warmed up, right? Yeah, no, actually it was funny because, like you said, we had all those great conversations in the locker room. Me growing up in suburban Brookfield outside of Milwaukee, going yeah. to school down the road in Wisconsin. You kind of growing up outside of Pittsburgh, yes. going to Toledo, one of 10,000 kids in your family. I mean, we just <laughs> came from different backgrounds. So I agree. The, the mesh point of those two backgrounds produced some really interesting and exciting conversations in the locker room. And I think we brought some other guys in over, over the years – Josh McCown, your boy. Yes. John uh, Greco from Toledo. Yep. And we had a we had a lot of great great times, and I think uh, it's only natural that we turned this into a podcast to uh, let those people on the outside sneak into our lives and uh, be a, a fly taste. on the wall in the locker room. Get a little taste. Now, Tomahawk, the name, obviously, it's obvious now, right? Now that we have it, it's like okay, that was obviously the only choice that it should have been, but we didn't come to a name that quickly, and. I don't understand why there was any pushback on the name Tomahawk from the backside. Which we, won't, we won't get into. We won't throw anybody under the bus. <laughs> but it wasn't as easy of a, a, a decision as it should have been, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, this is a high-budget show. So yes. that uh, marketing firm that we spent all that money on right. to come up with a sweet name 
unfortunately fell flat on their face, and we went with uh, what the Twitterverse, Twitterverse thought would be the best name. They're still sending names. We, you put that tweet out like two days ago, <laughs> and people are still <laughs> tweeting me, I, name it the Tomahawk Show. Yeah, I think that means that uh, people don't really know we're doing a podcast, so our marketing <laughs> arm has not really done the job that they're supposed to. We'll get there. But, uh, we're grassroots. But, yeah, we're grassroots, that's no doubt. So uh, the, the, the great part was when you asked Twitter something, there's actually a lot of really funny things that come back. Yes. So uh, some of the names that we really liked, were uh, Joe Hawk yourself? Yes. That was really up there. That was a high, I still highly rated want one. That one. I, I wouldn't mind that being a tagline. I might use that in, in, the, in the promo. Okay, okay. Now, uh, one of the other ones that we liked was uh, white and black equals browns. <laughs> we thought that was pretty funny. That was ridiculous. Uh, it was I descriptive. Liked it. That was descriptive. Very descriptive. Uh, Very. To the point. So, uh, brawn and brain. I'm not sure who was who, but uh, that on. was up Come there. Come on. We know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then one that was uh, more recent, it was kind of made me laugh, uh, since I like making fun of myself and I like making fun of you, so it works perfectly as uh, no offense or offense, however you want to look at it, with <laughs> Hawk and Joe. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> pretty clever. So, uh, probably a Browns fan came up with that one. A dark horse. Bitter. Dark horse name. Joe and sixteen was a was a funny one to me. Joe and sixteen, yeah, like I'm not like, picking up on that. Like O and sixteen. Oh, all right. Oh, I'm number too sixteen. Soon. Too soon, too my soon. friend. Too which soon. which brings us to our first topic, Joe. Yes. Now I can say I narrowly escaped being tagged as an O and sixteen NFL football player. Call it what you want. I was released by the Browns in February, so I'm not a part of that team. What is that like? Well. We'll get into it, but I was almost the only person who was tagged in two 0-16 seasons. But you talk about a little bit what what that is like going through an, a 0-16 season. Uh, obviously, it's really tough. Um, when you work all week in the NFL and Sundays show up and you go into the game confident, you love the game plan, mm-hmm. you feel that this is the week you're going to get that win, and then you don't get that payoff. Yeah. Um, it's like the definition of insanity. Yes. Because Monday comes around, you're going to correct the film. Tuesday comes around, you're starting to work back for that next week. And by Wednesday, you have to convince yourself again that you're going to have an opportunity to win the right. next Sunday. And then you don't get it. It's like, how many times are you going to do that to yourself and still be emotionally let down on the Sunday? <sighs> and then not even get one throughout the whole year where you feel good about yourself walking out of the, the stadium, where you feel good about what you did on a Monday. Uh, it really wears on you, and and you can see it on the faces of the coaches and the players by right. the end of the season. I, you know, I think that's like a part that people don't understand. It's like, like you said, there's like a you almost have to Jedi mind trick yourself. You do every week. Oh, to thinking like you know, in 2016 when I was on the team, we went one and 15, obviously, and we won that one game on Christmas Eve against the Chargers. We were like crying in the locker room, and people were like, "I actually was crying." Yeah, like, I was no, like legit. hugging everybody I could look Bro, at. Bro, there were legit I hugged tears, you and him and I were crying. Yeah, and and people were like, "Oh, they're acting like they won the Super Bowl," and I'm like, "People don't understand that like emotional turmoil yeah. you go through." Because I, I'm not gonna lie, that season I went into games, and it was the first time I'd ever done it in my career, and it wasn't on purpose, so it's not like a decision I made. But I would go into games, and I would sit there in pregame, and we're warming up, and I would look across the field. Then I would kind of look back, at, look back at us, and I would be like, "Dude, we're not going to win today." Oh, like and that is that was the worst feeling ever in football. I, like I've, I've broken my back, I've broken legs, I've broken arms, cracked ribs, 
And the worst feeling I've ever had on a football field was walking onto the field and feeling like I didn't have a chance. So that was like, that was kind of when I knew it was done for me from a retirement standpoint because I just couldn't go through the up and down like that. Every, just what you talked about. Like, it, it, that's a hard thing to do. It's such an emo- emotional roller coaster that I feel like people on the outside have no concept of what it's like to go through the week. Because, like you mentioned, you really actually have to get yourself to believe during the week that you're going to win on that Sunday. I mean, that's almost part of your job description is yeah. buying into the game plan. Right. And then to go on Sunday and have yourself proven that you were wrong yeah. is devastating. Yes. I couldn't agree more, man. I couldn't agree so more. So it was rough. Now, you said you were with the Lions yeah, at so, 16 I actually did not know that. So after you guys, after this last game, the last Browns game this season, I got a tweet from the Sports Illustrated writer, a Sports Illustrated writer who Doug did some digging. So his angle was he was looking for a person who was tied to the only two 0 and 16 <laughs> seasons. You raise your hand. And it was NFL me. Network. They so didn't he, see you because you're in a crowd. <laughs> but you're like, come down here. So he sent me a, a, a direct message. Now, I knew this information. I wasn't going to let it out because nobody wants to be known as the biggest loser. <laughs> and put, like, that's not. You are the weakest yeah, link. Exactly. Like, anything you're tied to fails. So <laughs> he sent me a direct message and was like, dude. That's a good motto. You narrowly escaped being the only person a part of two 0 and 16 seasons. And, and back-to-back years, because we got the one win last year, which, which freed me, because I was an intern with the Detroit Lions as a really scout scouting. in 2008. It was your fault. You know yes. that, right? I you scouted all the, right the players, players, and I'm like, this the is a Super Bowl team. <laughs> so, yeah, my intern duties, I had so much leverage and power. But, yes, I, I narrowly escaped being the biggest loser I, I got a in question, football history. a question for you. So, up until week 15 mm-hmm. last year, we were – 0-14, and, yes. and then we went one against San Diego on Christmas Eve. So the feeling was the same in Detroit in their locker room through 14 weeks as it was in Cleveland through 14. Yes. Compare and contrast for me the feeling in that locker room versus the locker room in Cleveland that you were in last year. Well, full disclosure, I wouldn't really know. So you weren't actually in the locker room. You I were wasn't upstairs in the locker room. I was the, actually just a training camp The white-collar camp people. Intern. So I was only there for Oh, like you weren't even weeks. there during the so season. So actually, oh, I get could, him out of here. Uh, to, be, to be fair... I may be the smartest person in football history for this reason. After I did a six-week internship as a scout with the Lions, they offered me the full-time um, internship that turned into a full-time job, and I turned it down to chase my football dream. Okay. And so then, you know, fast forward to our February conversation about being a Brown in 2017, yeah. I kind of turned that down yeah. to pursue other opportunities. So I'm actually the smartest guy to ever be a part of the NFL. Now, we got another guy here, uh, nameless and faceless Dan. Yes. We're not sure what we're going to call him yet. We're, gonna, but, we're, uh, we're, we're kicking around some ideas. You know, he's the only guy here in the room that doesn't have NFL playing experience, although he was a tremendous college football player, which he will tell you all about nice. when you get that opportunity. But uh, I would love to hear his take here on being part of Owen 16 or, or what it means or the difficulties – or what's the outside perspective? Because as a player, you know, you're in the locker room every day and you, you get right. some of it from the media and a little bit from the fans, but you're not living it the way you would as a fan or as right. a guy who's, you know, wearing civilian clothes on Sunday, let's right. put it. Right. I mean, it's tough because fans live and die with the team. Every Sunday, they go to the game expecting to win and happen to lose every game this year. So he's live and die with the team and it's tough. You know what I don't get? I don't get how like fans think. Like, the players don't feel that way. Like, I get the fans, like, want their team to win. But it's, like, to go on Twitter and, like, yell at them as if, like, we went into the game. Like, oh, yeah, we yeah. don't care if we win. It's, it's only our livelihood. 
honestly, I think it's just their way to vent. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when, when you walk out of that stadium as a fan, you spent your money, like you spent all week getting excited for it, convincing yourself just like a player did that you're going to win on Sunday. You're going to walk out of that stadium feeling good about your team. And then when it doesn't go well, who are you going to go yell at your wife when you get home? I mean, right. you, you've got to have a coping mechanism. So social media is kind of given fans that coping mechanism to deal with the misery of losing or the misery of an 0-16 season. So you jump on social media right. and you go and shit on all the guys that you can right. touch and feel on social media and uh, do whatever you can to make yourself feel better. I don't get – what I don't understand is what, is what goes to the mind of a fan to think he, could, he should yell at a – because I'm, I'm going to be honest – they act like, oh, don't listen to the fans, don't watch your Twitter. Some other people on Twitter, if I catch you in person, <laughs> I, I promise you it's going to be an altercation. Well, you have a block list on Twitter that's greater plus. than Minute Bull. It's like everybody that's Dude. even said, like, hey, Andrew, what's up, man? You're like, block. Look, And I, then the, it's, that's the end of them. I have to block people. And, like, even when I was in Cleveland playing, not just Cleveland, anywhere I've played, I don't leave my house. <laughs> So I don't like. I don't want to talk about football because it, it like it's so important to me that if someone were to come up to me and start talking about football in a way that I didn't like, I'm afraid of what would come next while I was a player. So I would literally would not leave my house in the cities I played in. I wouldn't go out. I would barely go to to dinner. I wouldn't go to party or anything because I was afraid of of that altercation. Well, how often does that happen when you're out and fans come up to you? All the time. Every time I, now. I can't go to the mall in Strongsville without someone coming up to me and talking to me about the Browns football. And I'm not even <laughs> on the team anymore. Well, now, do you think that's because now you're on ESPN and you're sort of this recognizable person? No, absolutely not. Well, someone didn't notice me from Snapchat, but besides that, no, it's because it was the same way when I was a player. Like, I would go places and people would literally, and maybe it's because I'm 5'7 and I'm more approachable than no one's going to go to Joe Thomas, who's 7'2. Three hundred and fifteen. <laughs> so you're saying I'm not approachable, and and tell you like, yo, you need to block better. Yeah. Besides the fact that you're already blocking better than everybody else yeah. on the team, people maybe feel like they can come up to me and, and have a conversation about with me about what the offense should be doing, and I never That's understand it. I I wonder like, is it is it a race thing? Like as as a, a black person in Strongsville, let's say, or, yeah. or outside of Cleveland, I mean, you stick out because there's not a lot of black people out there. And they see yeah. you, and they're instantly thinking, you know, they're stereotyping, like, oh, he's got to be an athlete, right? No, I don't get and, that. And then they're like, oh, when they realize you're an athlete, they don't associate you actually being a real person. They just think you're like this uh, comic book person on right. TV like who's like, character. oh, he's a character. He's a professional athlete. So he obviously wants to talk to me about football. And so they think, like, oh, here's my end. I can go ask him whatever I want. Well, there could, I think that there, there probably is some factor there somewhere, but not with me. Not no me. one ever like walks up to me and like, "Yo, do you? Yeah, you do you, you play must the NFL? be a basketball player." <laughs> yeah, like, no, so if you recognize yeah. me, you know exactly yeah. who yeah, I am. Because I really don't get that all that much. Like occasionally, people really? will be like, "Hey, can I, you know, get an autograph or a photo or something like that?" But I don't have many people coming up to me. I mean, like, "Hey, wow. the, why did the Browns run that play on third and 10 And I'm like, yeah. "I don't know. I'm not the coordinator." I mean, now I don't mind talking about it, obviously. Yeah. But as a, I mean, as, your when you're in the now. middle of it, you just, yeah. I just don't want to have the yeah. conversation. Yeah. And how much of it has to do with Joe being a lineman? Right. That's the other thing. Yeah, like, like, as a lineman, they're like, uh, like "What can right, you the really guy, change? What, what is he going to do? Yeah, Joe blocked this guy. He's, <laughs> he's just an egghead. Like, he doesn't know what he's doing." I mean, I always try to like keep a low profile. I'm not a, an attention type guy. I mean, right. I try to be the common man. So what are you trying to say? Kind of, I'm, I'm an attention. And you're type not guy? at all either. But like, God. obviously, there's guys in the team. There's guys in this 
profession that are no, sort of it. like the attention guys, like, hey, look at me, you know, I'm wearing uh, the expensive clothes, the uh, you know, the Gucci stuff, the right. Louis Vuitton stuff. They're driving the Rolls Royce. And you stuff. don't have any Gucci. I don't have any Gucci, and it's because you haven't bought does me your any wife. Yet. Does your wife have any Gucci? Oh yeah, she's got all that shit. You know, she's got like the purses and the, the shoes and everything. But like for women, I think it's a little bit more subtle because yeah, you know, there's plenty of women. that Tell wear that to that a woman all. without Gucci. Oh yeah, I mean, I want you to tell. I want a like woman to sit much. up here without any Gucci. You tell That's her we need. all we need that the, Gucci your wife the, wears is subtle. That could be our first guest. We could have some lady come on here and, and bitch about how she doesn't have any Gucci stuff <laughs> from her husband. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're, look, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on. Here. We can so talk we got, about that forever, forever, literally. Uh, we gotta move on. Somebody, right. th- maybe there's not a Browns fan that's listening, and that's you know unlikely, yeah. but you never know. You never know. At least for the first episode. Yeah. All right, so coaching carousel now. It's time. It's uh, Black Black Monday has passed, where all the coaches get fired. It's not even Black Monday anymore because they fire them Sunday night. But all, <laughs> all the coaches are fired now. They're looking for coaches. What do you think about the John Gruden situation? What are your thoughts on it? It's interesting, obviously, because the guy hasn't coached in what, like ten years? I, yeah, look, I don't. I'm, I'm with you. Just, I'll let you go. I have like a yeah. very specific so, take on it. I'm glad you have a specific take because my take, first of all, is I think, generally speaking, in the NFL, all coaches are fired way too quickly. Uh-huh. Obviously, being in Cleveland for eleven years, I've seen it almost every other year. Right. It's you like you're an expert. As soon as cases. as soon as you don't get enough success, wherever that expectation bar is, if you don't reach it. The fans say, get rid of the coach, get rid of the quarterback, get rid of the GM. And for the most part, people in the the NFL on the ownership level, they usually cave because that's your customer base, right? Your fans are your customers, just like in the business world. So if they're not happy, you got to make a change, right? So, but I I think that's not always the right decision. I think you need to give coaches that three, four years to build something, right? Because a lot of times when a coach comes in, they're going to tear it down and they're going to think about three, four years to try to build it back up. And if you get them fired after a year or two years, they haven't had their chance to fully see their vision through. But go ahead, take a a stab at it. Bro, you hit it on on the nose because I couldn't agree more. I I hate how, like, like, they were talking about firing Coach McAdoo at the Giants like week seven. Right, like he's been so there for what a year and a half. A year and a half, and, and he took him year. to the playoffs exactly. in the first year. So I'm like, you can lose your job in seven weeks. Yes. So on one hand, I'm like, yes, it like you can't fire coaches that quick. Like Vance Joseph out in the Broncos, he was on the job 11 months, and they were talking about firing. That's him. crazy. You know what I mean? And it's like, on one hand, I'm like, yes, that makes zero sense. On the other hand, as a player, I'm all for it. <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> Why? Because they'll fire us in a week. That's true. And no one is like, That's oh, true. you only gave them yeah. a week. Yeah. So uh, anything that makes it an equal playing field <laughs> is like a, the good the good hawk, bad hawk on my shoulder yeah. that tells me both sides of it. John Gruden one perplexes me because if you look like at his body of work, and, I, and I, he's probably an incredible coach. I've never played for him, so I couldn't tell you. But. He's had the one Super Bowl win, right? But he did it in Tampa, which is like the organization that but could he, never win. But like, was that his? Because Tony Dungy was the coach no, there. You're right. Tony Dungy built the foundation, and then they missed the playoffs. I think like for six straight years. Is that a bad stat? I actually, don't. I actually didn't. Think we'll like have to that. get our highly paid stat guy on that, yeah. right? I'm sure he'll be tweeting my year in a second. He's at Tomahawk. Yeah, he's, headquarters. he's at headquarters. Yeah, Tomahawk headquarters, the international headquarters. I think Gruden has done an incredible job of like building. The, the, well, he's got a great personality. Yeah, and and he did it in Oakland. He took that team in Oakland to the to the Super Bowl yes. and lost, and then got traded, which was really strange, uh, to Tampa, and then won a Super Bowl there. 
and then got fired after like winning the division. Yeah. So he's been out for ten years, but he does have a pretty good resume, especially he does. recently. But the he, game has changed so much in ten years, and he keeps himself relevant by being on Monday Night Football every week. That's right. the key. Like that's the media drives everything. Like even if you're yeah. a free agent player, if all the media members say this is the next wide receiver to blow up. He, that guy gets a good yeah. contract. That's just how it goes. And, and the coaching thing is no different. John Gruden has just been able to control it since yeah. he's the guy on Monday Night Football. Yeah. I, I've got a theory on that. It's, it's like free agency, right? When you go into free agency, you don't have to convince 32 NFL owners that you're the greatest left tackle or wide receiver. Right. You've only got to convince one. And back in the days when Al Davis was still running the, the Raiders, the agents loved him because he was that one crazy guy that was going <laughs> to throw a ton of money at some player every year in free agency, and then all the agents would be able to negotiate off of that offer, right? Right. And so it's just like that right now. All you got to do as a head coach is convince one owner that's been watching Monday Night Football, that's been listening to the media, that's been hearing that John Gruden is that guy. Uh, all you got to do is convince that one head coach and all of a sudden now you're making $100 million or whatever it is Dude, on your contract. I just don't get how, like, every year he is, like, the goal. And like I said, he could be a great coach. And I actually, one of my good buddies, Bruce Gregkowski, played for him. Oh, he yeah, loves he played him. for him. He, like, yeah. swears by the dude. But I'm like, if you look at the body of work, like, what's the difference between him and Bill Billick? That's Brian a great Billick. point. Brian, Brian Billick. Billick, yeah. yeah. Coach sorry, sorry, Bill Billick. Sorry, Bill Billick. Wherever I know you, you were are. saying Bill Belichick. You, yeah, yeah. You got caught up there. I wouldn't say that. That's another thing. Yeah. They were talking about giving him ownership in the in the franchise. Now, I don't know if it actually happened yeah, or will know. happen. I don't know if the contract will ever come out because it's not like player contracts where it's public knowledge. Right. You know, those coaches' contracts are sort of shrouded in mystery a little bit, but it is amazing to think that they're going to give him part of the team to be the coach. If are they going to fire him in two years? If you're, if you're Bill Belichick... <laughs> And you see John Gruden step out of the booth and get ownership stake? What are yeah. you going to do with yeah, your exactly. five Super Bowls and 15 straight yeah. winning seasons? I tell you. I, I do want to hear Dan's perspective on does he think that coaches overall in the NFL are fired too quickly? I do. Okay. Well, I mean, you guys obviously. Reserving have, judgment right, right now on you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to have time to come in implement what you want because you come in you're inheriting somebody else's situation exactly you need to get what you want get the players you want because you're inheriting other people's players yes so you implant your system because it might not be the same offense you know might be a different three four four three defense you need different players you don't get time to build what you want i wouldn't argue that that's where it differs from players the fact that you have to implement an entire system and culture yeah yeah, that's, that's where it differs. As a player, player, you just come in and you're trying to fit into your little piece of the puzzle. And if you can do it or if they don't think you can do it, you're gone. But I don't like that. I mean, right? I, I know you don't like okay. it. And you like you know what else I don't like? You know what fired. I think? If I, if I own if, an NFL team, if, if my cryptocurrency takes <laughs> off tomorrow and I can buy the Panthers, the first thing I'm going to do as the owner is I'm not going to hire a head coach. I'm not going to fire Coach, uh, coach Ron down there in Carolina. But if I could and I hired a head coach. I would not let him pick his staff because I hate the fact that coaches and GMs, they come in and then they just bring all their boys with them because we work well together. We have chemistry. You know who else had chemistry, Joe? Me and my three college receivers and my quarterback. <laughs> when I came to the okay. Browns, okay, fair enough. Fair I don't enough. get to come and say, okay, look, this is going to be the quarterback because he's my boy. He's in my wedding. Um, this guy's going to play tackle. I like that, though. He hasn't played That's since That's what we should school. do in Carolina. It's going to work great. We'll yeah, just hire so all of our buddies that are now out of football. You know, Bruce, you're going to be the quarterback. You're Sorry, so- Cam. We're going to have to trade you somewhere. Exactly. I just I, I hate that. I think all the coaches should be like, 
the top players or the top coaches, like the best at your position, the same way players. We're looking for the best wideouts. We're looking for the best receiver coach. We're looking for the best O-line coach, and you're going to make it work. Just like the players do, you have to figure out your chemistry and do what you need to do, but we want the best talent. Well, as players, don't you help recruit other players to the team, though? So you, you have a, I mean, no. a little bit. Joe, didn't you help with uh, a certain so, Wisconsin O-lineman? You know, yeah, but I mean, during it, free agency, you can kind of encourage him. And I think the big thing in free agency is the players are going to chase the money always. But you know, listen, we want to make it were about you recruiting other stuff? the players because he was your buddy, or you were recruiting him because he was going to be the highest paid guard in free agency? Well, I think that's why he signed. But I think as a player, you become comfortable with your decision. It's sort of like, yeah. you know, after you purchase that car, you're going to go and read reviews just so you can reaffirm your decision. Like, uh-huh. yeah, it is a good car. You know, a uh, car and driver thinks this car is amazing. So I did do a good job. I mean, you've already bought the car, so it really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Right. It's like you've already been shown the contract that makes you the highest paid guy at your position. It's better than everybody else's. So you're going to pick that right. that team. But now you just kind of want your friends to say, that was a good decision. You are really smart. This is a place that will be great And I get that. I'm not saying there's not buddies who play together in the NFL, like what you're saying, and recruiting your friends in free agency. But that's not a Joe decision. He's he's not like, you know what, I play best with this guy, so I need him as my left guard right beside me, you know, GM. Now, the GM says, yo, we want this dude. You go get him. He just happens to be one of your friends that you know and train with yeah. in the offseason. Well, I, I think with the coaching thing, what you said is I'm going to get the best coach at every position, but what's the metric you'd use to determine who's the best coach? I don't know. There, I mean, there's not a problem for the players. coaches. I don't get ask they, the players. I don't get no, that's how, a good point. I don't get how they hire coaches and never ask, ask the players what the coaches are like. Like Even in the head coaching, position coaching, whatever it is, yeah. there's coaches right now being interviewed that if an owner called me, they probably wouldn't get a second interview. <laughs> And then three years from we're now, we're not naming any names. We're not naming any names. We don't names. want to ruin any careers. We'll let we'll let it ride. We'll let the system be the system. But in three years from now, I could say like, yo, I could have prevented you from being on the hook for a fifty million dollar contract for a guy eh, that probably wasn't ready for that <laughs> position. But we'll keep it at that right yeah. now. We'll keep it. We'll keep it up. It top. is funny though. We'll I think you, you did bring up a good point. Like, who would know the coaches better than anybody? It's the players, right? We're with but them. But they're day. hardly ever asked for ever. their opinion on what they think about you know a coach or a head coach, a position coach, whoever it is, they hardly ever have any input. Like like you said, because usually the head coach just hires the guys he's comfortable with, the guys he's worked with. Because you don't ask the cattle about the farmer. <laughs> just come on, Ooh, man. I'm going to put that on a shirt. I just made That's that That's going up. on a shirt somewhere. The first time we on a t-shirt. T- we need to tweet that out immediately. <laughs> Speaking of coaches, Marvin Lewis, back with the, the Bengals again. We talk about short tenure. Now, that, ain't, <laughs> that ain't no short tenure. Now, now the other end of the spectrum here yes. with Marvin. He's the second – Longest tenured coach behind Belichick. Does, does now you've played with uh, Marvin there yes. in, in Cincinnati? That's sort of where you cut your teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know? Does he have pictures of Mike Brown doing something he shouldn't <laughs> be? Because that guy has got the <laughs> longest leash in the history of the world, and it's like every, at the end of every year, it's like a stare down. Like, are you going to quit? Are you going to retire? Or do we have to assign <laughs> you to another extremely small extension? Well, it's like this. The thing about the Bengals, like when I was going through free agency, and this is kind of like you know one of the pitches they give. But they, they pitched you in free agency? Well, when 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 you sign a contract there, like I guess you did sign with them, right? Yeah, well, I was there for 3 years and I was well, I mean a free after agent. after before you signed here, you were a restricted free agent, right? I was and restricted. we stole you away. Yes. All right. Yeah, so but you know, they would have had the opportunity to match if the contract was structured in a way that didn't <laughs> pay me so much. But it's like this, in Cincinnati when you sign a deal, like if you look at like their long-term deals anywhere else, right? Mm-hmm. If we sign Joe Thomas away for a 5-year deal and you don't play well, 
you're going to get cut after two years. Your yeah. last three years won't. And yeah. everyone knows that. Nobody's going to sign a five-year guarantee. And so it's more like two to three-year guarantees. In Cincinnati, they'll sign you for a deal, and it may not be as much, but you'll see literally every penny and every Right, because you know you're not going to get cut. Once they value it that, yeah. like for that many years, that's yeah. just what they stick with. So and that's the same goes for coaches as well. Because what's the alternative? Like I grew up a Bengals fan. My brother played seven years with the Bengals yeah. in the 90s and the early 2000s, and they were winning two games a year, three games a year, one game a year for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. And then Marv comes in. Yes, he hasn't won a playoff game yet, but they remember that alternative to where yeah. for 15 years they couldn't get anybody to get above five games. So what what is he going to do? Where are they going to go out and get? Like, I just don't think there's better options. Like, I think you just get spoiled because I know Browns fans – would love to have a seven and nine season oh, right yeah. now, or yeah. or five straight playoff losses. Mm-hmm. He probably have a statue here in Cleveland. <laughs> to be honest, yeah. Hawk, I heard a great story about you and Marvin Lewis. Yes. You guys were roommates. Yes, we were roommates. So my first year in camp, they signed me from like Canada. I got cut by the Rams on day one of camp. That's another story. But so I claimed off waivers from the from the Bengals, went there, and they had so many players in camp they didn't have any rooms left, and the only bed available. <laughs> Was in the same room as Coach Lewis. Was it so, a king or uh, two doubles? <laughs> it was one twin. <laughs> no, and uh, we were roommates. Who was the big spoon and who was the little spoon? Is that how you made the team? Yes. Maybe we'll I'll have a podcast me. just on those nights. I, lo- I looked at it as an opportunity. I told him, like, my first day, because I just got Were you like, hey, kick your feet off. Uh, can yeah, I give your foot rub? You or what, what can I do? <laughs> you, you hungry? Yeah, I'm, right, hey, I'm making a run of Domino's. I mean, no, really, what are course. those conversations like? I mean, we didn't talk much. He's a quiet guy anyway, but literally, it was like after my first practice, you know, he was like, you hit the ground running today because they, like, threw me right in with the starters. And I was like, dude, listen, I, I can't tell you anything else. But what I can tell you is no one here will work as hard as me while I'm here. And that's all I said to him. And Right, because he doesn't want the recruiting speech. Yeah, no, I'm not He doesn't want him. you, like, chirping in his ear. Like, I'm just, I can do this. I really, I know I can do this. I'm making a promise, and I'm going to keep that yeah. promise. And I kept the promise. And, you know, Mark, that's my guy, man. Yeah. That's my guy. We're, we're still good to this day. So I got a question. <laughs> Uh, with you and uh, Marvin, when when you got signed there, and uh-huh. they, you see your room assignment is Marvin Lewis, were you thinking like, "Oh, I got this. I'm making this team," or were you thinking, "Well, it looks like I'm no. getting cut tomorrow because <laughs> they wouldn't put me with the head coach if they thought I was going to be here a while." Well, I was like more. I'm really socially awkward. Like I know I do media, and I'm like I get better. But if I that was like the most awkward thing. I don't think I slept that night. I think I just <laughs> laid there staring. Were at the you ceiling. looking at Marvin, or were you looking at the ceiling? Nah, well, it was like. <laughs> We we had like separated rooms, so it wasn't we weren't in the same. Oh, so the, it wasn't like a small like NBC no. He's the head coach. Like a, They're not a, putting him in like a right, one okay. door. So you know he what had I'm like saying? A big suite. Yeah. Whatever. So I had like a bed in like the in the living area. Yeah. Was it like a hide a bed? Like you were out in like the a, the TV area, like a you had to pull out couch. Yeah. Or like it was like that in the kitchen. <laughs> it's exactly he's how like it was. Making coffee and stepping over your carcass. In exactly. The I'm on the phone <laughs> with my wife. Like move. <laughs> that had to be a little awkward. It's all right though. Oh no, that's funny. That's a good story. I actually have never heard that. So, moving on. Here we got Browns, number one pick, number four pick. We got two quarterbacks that declared for the draft already in Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold. What are your thoughts? There's been some kind of there's some, some headlines around these guys that I'm sure you're aware of that we'll cover. Yeah, so I think clearly the Browns are probably going to take one of those two guys or somebody. They're going to take a quarterback, I think, with one of those picks. I don't know. It's way too early to discuss, but I'm sure – 
there's a chance that they trade back a couple spots if they like both guys just so they can get some more picks and they can still get one of their quarterbacks they like. Um, but I would be pretty confident that they're probably going to take a quarterback with that one of those first five picks. And uh, based on John Dorsey, who's the new GM, mm-hmm. his track record in Green Bay, his track record in Kansas City and Green Bay, they had Brett Favre. They drafted Aaron Rodgers in the first round. Kansas City, they had Alex Smith. Yeah. They drafted Patrick Mahomes. So based on his track record, I think it's safe to say the Browns will probably take one of those guys with one of their first picks. And I wouldn't be mad if they took one in free agency too. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either because I'm sure what has happened when he was in Green Bay and Kansas City has left a mark on right. him because they've had a lot of success in those programs with a veteran quarterback and letting a young guy uh, learn under the veteran. Which quarterback do you want? Rosen is a little more – he's the outspoken kind. He's very, very, very honest and so transparent. Who was the guy that uh, recently said he'd rather go to the right situation versus going to a higher draft That team? was Rosen. That was Rosen. Rosen. So he was trying to be sort of open and honest, you know, the, the whole bachelor. I just want to be open and honest. Yeah. I like that, man. I do. I don't care what he thinks. And I don't think you're he still really, coming to Cleveland. If yeah. I'm the GM, I don't, I don't give a damn. Right, right. And I don't think when Bring he said it, it was meant with malice towards Cleveland necessarily. I think he was just kind of being honest about look, as a quarterback, you want to go to a good situation where you have good receivers and perceived to have good coaching and a good structure and stability. Right. And I think maybe in his mind, that's sort of what he was thinking. I don't think even he was excluding Cleveland because honestly, if you look at the Browns and where they're sitting in this offseason, um, hundred million plus in cap space. That was like the salary cap when I was a rookie. It was like under a hundred million. But now they have that much just in free agency they can wow. spend. The first pick, the fourth pick, like five picks in the first couple rounds. So I mean, the Browns offense could look a lot different in two thousand eighteen than it did right now, with all the money in the cap space and the um uh, draft a, picks that they have. And a GM willing to spend money in free agency. And, and an owner that's saying, we need to turn this thing around right now because I, I'm coming off of 1-15 one, one and 0-16, and, and, and we need to get these fans what they deserve. Not trying to win the cap cut, baby. Spend the money. <laughs> free agency. Speaking of free agency, Earl Thomas, I don't know if you've seen this. Earl Thomas, when they were playing the Cowboys, safety for the Seahawks, comes off the field, and it was like a big deal with everybody because like on the way into the locker room, the cameras caught him, go up to Jason Garrett, who was the head coach of the Cowboys, and say, hey, you know, come get me. Come get me when it's time. And everybody was like, oh, that's disloyal. And I sent a tweet out because I'm like, that happens literally every week. Now, you probably wouldn't know anything about that because you've been Cleveland your whole life through and through, and you didn't even come close to sniffing free agency. But I can honestly say every single game I've ever been a part of, that has happened. Where a player goes up to the opposing team, whether that's a coach, a coordinator they know, a receiver coach, a personnel guy, and they talk about free agency. I've had coaches – in multiple years, come up to me like, hey, we want you here next year. We're going to come get you. We're going to come get you. So I didn't understand. Like, I get people don't want to think that like there's that level of dis- disloyalty, but it's a business, and you have to set up business moves. This is just how the game goes. Yeah, but this one was on camera. I know. That's the only <laughs> That's thing. the difference. That's the only thing. But it's like, I don't know. For me, I, get, I guess the fans, like, if I'm a Seahawks fan, I guess that does pee me off, right? Yeah, because that's your guy. You know, you've shown him so much love. You bought him his. You bought his jersey. You yeah. cheer for him on Sundays. You feel like that's our guy. He's he's a Seattle Seahawk. He's yeah. my guy. He's on my team. And then you hear him say that without understanding what goes on in the NFL. Right. You're going, what the heck, man? Where's the Where's the mutual love? Yeah, I just was like, man, that happens. I'm not gonna lie. I've done that before. I I've, I've done it. Well, I I think what fans don't understand is. 
you flirt with everybody when you're in the NFL. When That's, you're a coach, you're flirting with every owner every year because you never know when you're going to get fired. It's the same thing with, with the player. First of all, if you go to free agency, you want everyone to like you because right. the more teams that are bidding for your service, the more you're going to get paid. So you're going to be going up to every coach you ever meet. Hey, coach, we love what you're doing. You know, you're going to flirt with him. You're going to tell him how much you love his offense, how much you love what he does, yep. how much of a leader he was, he is. And you're going to try to build that value around your brand. And I honestly, I think that's just what he was doing. He, I don't think he was making an overt, hey, coach, come get me because I don't want to be in Seattle. He was just saying like, hey, I love you guys. You're a great coach. This is where I'm from. And, you know, if Seattle kicks me to the curb or if something happens in Seattle, I want you to like me because it's, I want you guys to be an option. I wish that part of the business was more transparent because you're exactly right. Because honestly, he might want to stay in Seattle. But he might want more money. So the only way to get more money yeah, exactly. is to trick the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> thinking into you really like them. Thinking you really like them. And then it drives the Seattle That's price right. up. But you know what? This reminds me of a conversation that we had here in Cleveland around Deshaun Watson. Um, there were some reports, I think, that came out that said Hugh had texted Deshaun. Mm. I'm getting this right, Dan, right? Yeah, be ready. <clears throat> had texted him on draft day, like, be ready. Or something super generic that he probably texted to 38 or 38. 40 other guys. The 40 top prospects. All the 40 top guys, he probably hit the mass next. Like, hey, be ready because what do you want to do? You want to set that relationship up on the right foot, right? right? So the other guys that you have texted aren't going to be like, well, you said be ready to me. And, you know, right. they're not going to all find out that maybe you said it to everybody. You're hoping that that relationship goes on the right foot right. because as a player, especially as a 21 or 22 year old kid, you're thinking, I'm the only guy he loves. Yeah. So when he does pick me, all of a sudden now we've started out on this great foot and he's my guy. I'm his guy. And it reminds me of in today's day and age. Now, I didn't have the whole social media stuff when I was single back in college, but yeah. you uh, have nowadays like, like like a calendar year ago you barely had it. Yeah, so I'm I'm new on all that <laughs> stuff. So I don't know anything, but you know the guy goes into a bar and he flirts with like 10 girls. And he's that doesn't mean he's going to go home with all 10 of them. He's hedging his bets. He's hedging his bets. He's trying to put in a little bit of time everywhere. And then, you know, wherever the chips may fall, all of a sudden, okay, now, now he's got a new girlfriend or whatever. But to, to me, that's what free agency is. That's what the draft process is. You're trying to, you know, put the, fly, the feelers out everywhere you go, trying to be nice, trying to raise your value with everybody and then see eventually it's going to happen with somebody. And the other girls are not going to be mad. That's no, they they that's had a good exact, time with somebody else. That's the exact strategy I'm using with cryptocurrency. Just throwing in a little bit of everywhere. I have no idea what any of it means. <laughs> it's all monopoly money to me, and I'm just hoping one of them hits. <clears throat> so you've diversified so much that now you have no reward. <laughs> no so reward. You're going to have gonna 10 make... failing cryptocurrencies for $0, but you're going to hit a home run on one, and it's not even going to make a difference. I'm going to make 600 bucks net. <laughs> <laughs> You've made 1% return on your 10-year investment. Congratulations. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, you're right, though. The players, I always say the players, it's the player's job to get teams to pay, overpay for them, and it's the team's job to get the players to take very bad deals. Absolutely. Like, that's a that's good deal. That's the GM. business world. That's, that's it. what happens every day. That's it. Love it. Um, well, next topics. What do we got here? We got, what do you want to cover? We got Carson Palmer retires. We got Hall of Fame finalists. We got James Harrison to the Pats. Let's, Let's talk, talk about James Harrison. I was going to say, we got a guy go I went against a number of times in my career. What are your thoughts on James Harrison? So, terrific player. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable what he's doing at 39, 40 years old. Yeah. Uh, incredible shape. Another great story, a little bit like yours, where it took him forever to get in the NFL. Right. Uh, and then he turned his almost maybe a Hall of Fame career in with the Steelers from yeah. – 
age of about 29 till about 39. That's it's crazy. just amazing. So what 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 is the what is your take on the narrative? So the report is kind of and it's like it's iffy because the players the Steelers were like super mad cuz apparently they said he forced his way out or maybe the way he was acting or acting yeah, out. I don't understand all of that. Like he wasn't playing. I mean, of course yeah. he's going to force his way out if he wants to play. And then the and then the players are all butthurt when he when he tries to go to a good situation. Exactly. And they're like burning his jerseys in Pittsburgh and not only that, he's come out. He had a pretty good game for the Patriots. What yeah, are your like thoughts? Like two sacks right away. I didn't get it. He man. could still play. I mean, we played him a little bit in our first game, and I thought he could still play. He didn't look much different than he did the previous yeah. twenty times I played <laughs> against him. I think it was a win-win because for the the Steelers, like you know, he was gone for a while and he was out of football. And then he came back and he still like led the team in sacks. So I think from the Steelers' perspective, if we don't draft T.J. Watt, and T.J. Watt is a good player, yeah, if we don't draft him and put him in the game. Over James, like we'll never be able to get rid of James Harrison, yeah, because he's going to get eleven sacks every year until he's fifty <laughs> years old. So we have to, like, yeah. we have to make the hard decision to bench him yeah. and then let him leave. Otherwise, we'll yeah. never be able to move on from him. Why, why don't you think they tried to build up his trade value? Like they could have easily given him six games at the beginning of the year, yeah. let him get two or three sacks, prove that he can still do it, and then try to trade him. Even if they get a fifth round pick for him. That'll be better than just cutting him and having this bitter ending to his illustrious career. Because I don't think old guys have trade value. Like, oh, if you're over At 30, all? if you're not a quarterback, you really don't have trade value. Like, nobody wants 30 yeah. plus year old guys. I mean, you're right about that. Like, it's unless amazing. you're a first ballot Hall of Famer, Joe. I get everybody calls every year. <laughs> no, I don't have any trade value anymore. To come I'm and get old. you. But for the, for the majority of us yeah. plus 30 players, it's just not there. It is true. I played with James in Cincinnati, and he wasn't the same player. Not, well, he was playing middle linebacker in Cincinnati. He wasn't playing outside linebacker. Well, it was a he little bit. He was like a little – it was a different defense, it, and that's yeah. like the thing. It's like it's a, So people may think that he only thrives in that Pittsburgh slash Dick LeBeau-style defense. Well, there's no doubt that – who he is? He's a barely taller than Andrew Hawkins, yes, are, with a hundred more pounds of muscle. He's as tall as he is wide, though. Super stiff. He's not a great athlete, but he's extremely smart. He's super tough, super strong, and he fits perfect in that outside linebacker position where he's either rushing the passer, he's beating up a tight end, or he's just dropping into the flat. Right. I mean, he's not big enough to be a defensive end in a four-three, and he's certainly not athletic enough, fast enough to play middle linebacker in a four-three like Cincinnati. So, he, really, his role is sort of pigeonholed into that three-four outside linebacker position. Right. He is a uh, one, one misconception about him that I don't like. He's not as tough as everyone acts like he is. Oh wow! Oh man! Right. You heard that here. Boom! First. Boom! Shots fired on, on the tomahawk. You're show. trying to raise our profile right <laughs> yes. now on the first they, show, aren't you? That is write that to, down, Dan. They're going to make that the quote on the Twitter. <laughs> James Harris is not, as, not tough. as tough as everyone else. I, I tell you what, we better get some security outside of this room here. <laughs> if you're talking about James Harrison like that, he might drive down the road and nah, do I, something. I, and I love James. I played with him in Cincinnati. We're teammates. We're friends. But like when he came to Cincinnati. He like walked around with this like this look, and everyone kind of like uh, looked over their shoulder when he walked by. Then after a while, he got to being himself, and he what he portrays like out there is like the Debo and the, the the bully. He is that tough on the field, but off the field, he's just like a regular goofball. So what you're saying is he's just a nice guy off the he's field. He's not a jerk. Not, no, not he's even a little bit. He's tough on the field, but he's just not a jerk. But everyone else thinks he is like right. He's like this. He walks by you and will slap your newborn, and, <laughs> and you just got to take it and let him go. I thought all he did was work out off the field. He does do that too. Uh, basically, they would have like uh, techno Fridays in Cincinnati where they would play techno Was he down music. With that? They would wear like like uh, glow sticks, and they would just <laughs> lift with their shirts off. 
for like three hours. Wow, interesting. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> I didn't get into it, but <laughs> you wouldn't that. say if you did, anyways. <laughs> exactly. But there's no, no video the, evidence. really, the the question I have for you with the James Harrison is: you're a guy that's switched teams a few times in the NFL. Uh-huh. Do teams really sign players before they're going to play your former team and then suck the information out of them? That's a good question. I always wonder that because myself. that's what the narrative was: was oh, the Pats only signed him so they could get Steelers information on their defense because they're probably going to play him in the playoffs. I think it's a it's a luxury. I think that's a, that's a luxury thing that happens that most teams don't can't afford. So it's like the perception that like, you know, you always say money isn't everything, which is true, but you only know that if you've had money. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Only because you realize you're not as happy as you thought you would exactly. be. Exactly. I thought it'd be much happier with but all But you this can't money. tell someone who's never had money that money doesn't oh, buy yeah, yeah. Don't worry about being poor over there. Yeah, like, exactly. You don't really want to be rich like <laughs> me because it's not really that great. So that so that tactic <laughs> is for like the Steelers, the Patriots, who understand, like, you know, we're pretty good. We're going to be pretty good. Yeah. We can use this roster spot for information because it's going to help us uh, better our game plan. Yeah. Most teams don't have the ability to do that. Well, actually, that's a great point. You were with the Patriots this spring. Yes. So give us a little insight into your experience oh. with New England and those guys. Man, it was like, uh, you know, like in, in, in Billy Madison where the kids <laughs> great says, movie. like, you know, I forget what grade it is. And he's like, man, I wish I was in high school. And he starts shaking his face. <laughs> Don't you ever say that. <laughs> they, they, it's business over there, Grind man. you to a pulp, huh? They, I mean, it's not even so much a grind. It was a grind, which it should be. I was just probably like a couple years past when I should have been there. You know what I mean? Because it is so businesslike. It's not like yeah. there's not too many fun conversations going on. There's not like, and that's not in a bad way. It's like we're here to do a job. And they lived that through and through. Like there was like. Very little conversation. You know, after practice, we're doing 40-yard sprints. Everybody, from Tom Brady down to the, the, the second-string kicker they signed from college. You know what I mean? And it was like, I love the environment because it was like, man, no wonder these guys win so much. You know, but it was like, you know, your knee starts hurting. And there's no like, yo, hey, I'm 32. Can I get this practice off tomorrow? They're going to look at you like you have four heads. So I, I probably just came a little late, but it was – uh. It's definitely super business like. They don't have, they're fun. You know what's fun to them? Super Bowls. Winning the Super Bowl, the you only got fun one hour have, of fun, and then you're back to work. You get a Super Bowl party <laughs> afterwards. That's, that's it. That's the only fun we have all year. And if that's not it, like, he would be, like we would be in there, and, and, and Belichick is such an incredible coach. We would have, it was like the third like OTA practice, right? We're in the spring. And you would think in the meetings that it was like week. 15 of the season where we're fighting for the playoffs <laughs> that's how hard he is yeah. on the guys and not just i'm talking about tom he yells at tom that way so it's not like oh that's tom brady or this is such and such everybody he's the same person every single day like all he wants is perfection we're chasing it always like the standards are so high that you have no choice but to meet him there and it's like just getting that glimpse behind that curtain was like eye-opening for me someone who eventually wants to get back into the front office space what do you think Tom's relationship is with Bill? I've never played with him. I don't really know him. Yeah. I played for Bill in the Pro Bowl, and he cussed us out at halftime. Yes. Uh, for not trying hard enough. So <laughs> that's about all I know about him. But that's, that's who he is. Like, it's not. Do you think they have a good relationship? I think they have a, a great business relationship. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, know. it's mutually very beneficial, right? Yes. I mean, they're, both of their careers are 
I mean, the best coach and the best player of all time, probably. Yeah, I, I think I don't. I don't think they're over at each other's house for dinner. If that's what you're saying, <laughs> yeah. Like, does he I, I invite him over they, for Thanksgiving? Does Giselle no. and the boys come over for some Thanksgiving? I would highly doubt it. I don't think they give each other's kids Christmas gifts. <laughs> you know, I, are I, they sending a Christmas card? Because that's sort of the bottom of the barrel. That's like. If you're not sending no. a Christmas card, you probably don't like him. I, I don't. By think the way, sorry I didn't send you a Christmas card this year. <laughs> I was gonna say I definitely have never. I think got Dan a, got my Christmas, Christmas card. card. I don't think Joe. you did. But yeah, I don't think I don't think they. If you go through their text messages from the last 15 years, is it going to be about deflating footballs? Because isn't that how they got Tom? Well, well, maybe that's a different topic. That's a different topic for a different <laughs> show. But I, I would say that mo- the all, 99% of it is probably about coverage, defensive fronts, <laughs> um, who's you, active at the running back spot, what time. We need to go in here and look film because Brady doesn't leave the facility. Like you can't come early enough to beat him, and you can't leave late enough for him to be gone before you. Do you think Brady enjoys what he's doing? All right, we know he enjoys what he's doing. Obviously, clearly, he's the best of all time. Yeah. in football, does he have fun? Does he love it? He, I don't know what his version of fun is. All, all our, all of our versions of fun are different, right? Yeah. I think. He is very much in the same vein as Bill, where he thinks winning is fun. I will say, do this. they think it's fun, or is it just a relief that they didn't lose? That's always no. the question. Is fun the fun that you get from winning as good as the bad feeling you get from losing? Like equal emotionally? Yeah, I mean, I I think to be honest, man, I think Tom Brady is going to try to play till he's sixty-two, <laughs> because. Like, you know, you've heard him say he wants to play till he's 45. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, you know, of course you want to yeah. say it. If you're coming to a contract or whatever, you're going to say stuff like that. Once I got in the building, I'm going to give you another movie analogy. You remember in Step Brothers where they go <laughs> they go for the job interview um, and they come in the tuxedos and the guys laugh. And then at the end of it, when they start doing like a bunch of weird stuff, he says, okay, at first the tuxes were funny. Now they seem a little effed up. <laughs> That's the Tom Brady feeling when you get there. Because yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, he's a competitor. And then once you're in the building with him for any period of, of like a, any period of time, and he's like in the corner of the lunchroom mm-hmm. doing like footwork drops, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're like, hey weirdo, get out of the way! I'm trying to get my hamburger. Yeah, like 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 drills that like a, a second year college player would do that he's touching up on yeah. constantly. Yeah, like it's like, dude, this well, dude, that's why he's the best. He mm-hmm. lives for it. He literally his life is football, and he doesn't let any other hobbies or anything else. Inside of that bubble, and I'm trying to think like if I'm the if I'm already considered the greatest or one of the greatest like top three players ever in NFL history, and I'm making fifteen to twenty million a year, and my wife is making fifteen to twenty million a year, <laughs> or more. and I have five Super Bowl, like would I care that much? The answer is no, right? Like I don't have to think. But that's very long what's about made it. him the best. He's a different for the longest because he's different. Because most guys after a couple Super Bowls, they're gonna say, you know what? Instead of going in on uh, uh, March 3rd and watching film, <laughs> I think I'm going to go have some beers with my buddies. Exactly. But Tom would never make that decision. I did that after a CFL Grey Cup. <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm going to come to camp. You're like, I made it. <laughs> I'm a champion yeah. now. It's Grey Cup champs. I'm a Grey Coop to champ. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we beat that one to death. All yeah, right. we did. All right. uh, I think we got time for one more, maybe. You want to do wild card? Wild card preview? It is playoffs. I mean... Is that what they have us here for? They want us to talk about football? No, you're right. Hall of Fame <laughs> finalists, we got Ray Lewis, Randy Moss, Brian Erlacher, Steve Hutchinson. This might make me a bad NFL player, but I have no idea who Steve Hutchinson is. He's Ooh, an offensive, offensive guard. Yeah, oh, I'm hurts. sorry, Joe. That's right. Right in Joe's heart. Golly. Yeah. 
He was he was in uh, Seattle when yeah. they went to the Super Bowl, and then he signed the the, the poison pill contract in Minnesota. I don't. Do you remember oh, that one? I remember. Where the it's like if you play contract. more than three games in a calendar year in Washington or no in Minnesota, that's what yep. it was. We have to make you like the highest paid player on your team. Yes. And so Seattle couldn't match. So he I remember him now. Minnesota. He should be Hall of Fame just for that. I mean, his agent probably should be. Nah. I don't give agents any credit. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, you're the ESPN personality. Let's get a little wild card weekend preview. See what okay. goes on here. All right. We got Titans at Chiefs. We got Falcons at the Rams. That's Bills. Saturday. Bills at Jags. And the Panthers at the Saints. Best quarterback playing this weekend is who? Uh, I think that's an easy one. I'm going to say Drew Brees. Ew, you think it's easy? You think he gets away over Cam? I think Cam wins. Okay, so Hawk likes the Panthers. I like the Saints. I like the Panthers. Jags and Bills, who do you like? It's at, at, at the Jags. It is at the Jags. I'm just not a believer in the Jags yet. I think quarterback play is something that's going to be a problem for them. Mm-hmm. And the, I, think, I actually think the Bills are going to win. Yeah, I, I would say the Bills too. If, if you're going quarterback to quarterback, I'm saying the Bills. But that yeah. Jags defense is going to be hyped up, and they are no doubt. legit. No doubt, but the way I look at them – is you've got Tyrod Taylor, who's a very good running quarterback. Mm-hmm. He can make a lot of plays out of the pocket. And I think that sort of neutralizes how good the Jags' defense can be. And I, and I think Buffalo's got a stingy defense. It's going to be really tough for Jacksonville to do much on them. Yeah, could be a good game. All right, we got Titans at Chiefs. Who you got? So, actually, I like the Chiefs. I'm, I'm not a believer in the Titans. Mariota's been really up and down this year. Yeah. Um, the Chiefs had a real big lull sort of the second half of the season, but I think they've been able to get out of it. I think Alex Smith can have a good game, and I think they're going to win that game comfortably. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I got the Chiefs. I don't think Mariota – Mariota is like the middle of the pack quarterback to me. Not like in a bad way. I feel like there's elite guys who you can, you can put on any team and they'll win, and then there's like guys who need the right players around them, the system – it's like just middle of the pack guys who are solid quarterbacks, and you got to keep them. But he just doesn't strike me as like an elite guy yet. So the interesting thing for me about Mariota is he's not really like your typical pocket passer where you say, okay, he's like Drew Brees or Tom Brady, right. where he's going to make a ton of plays all day long in the pocket. Uh-huh. But he's not really the quarterback like Russell Wilson that can scramble and make huge plays with his arm. Like, or like, or like. Cam Newton. Well, like Cam Newton, exactly. Yeah. A guy who, like, oh, man. So he's Samoan. He gets out of so the you're pocket, saying he's not black, we're screwed. He's not white. He's Samoan. <laughs> yeah, he's so Samoan. It, it confuses you. <laughs> yeah, I'm confused. I don't know what this, I'm seeing. No, but but he, he makes his plays with, like, the zone read stuff. That's yeah. what sort of makes him dangerous and what teams worry about. I mean, we've played the Titans a couple times in the last year, uh, two years, and that's what they worried about, him pulling the ball yeah. and running for 60 yards because the DN, he, didn't pay the DN didn't pay attention to who had the ball. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree. The majority of his picks this year are from pocket passes with no pressure. That's alarming to me. So like, you, so he That's throws well on the run. He probably throws well with pressure. Um, if he's not pulling it down and running, but it's like of his fifteen picks going the last week, like ten of them were with no pressure. So I'm with you, man. So I think we both think the Chiefs there. All right. Last one we got here: Falcons at Rams. I'm actually thinking the Falcons are really well oh, positioned. Man. For this playoff run, and here's why: because obviously, what happened to him last year in the Super Bowl with that mm-hmm. epic comeback by uh, the Patriots, um, they had sort of a tough year. They kind of had to grind things out. They barely made it in the playoffs. But in recent history in the NFL, those teams that barely squeak in as the wild card uh-huh. seem to just always do really well. And it, for the most part, it's the same team as they had last year: um, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones. Uh, I just feel that the rookie quarterback in uh, L.A. 
is going to stub his toe a little bit this weekend in Atlanta. I think they can go a long way. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that. I like I like I like the Rams though. I like the Rams because they both come from the same um, offensive mindset, the Kyle Shanahan offense. Like so, the, the Falcons are trying to run that because Kyle left there last year. Yeah. McVay learned the Shanahan from you know play, coaching with him in, in the Redskins. I just think he's more effective on offense, and they have Todd Gurley, who I think should be the MVP. So I'm I'm going with the Rams. Dan, who you got all four games? Titans at Chiefs. 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 Any reason, any reason why you want to enlighten us? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Falcons pick, at Rams. I just pick winners. All right. Oh, hey, there you go. We're going to check these too. So yeah, yeah. we're going to check this. Well, I mean, unlike Joe, Joe just picked his former Browns O-line buddies teams to win. You've got to suck Mitchell up, right? Remember, with the remember you got to flirt with everybody. That I was earlier you. in the show. We're going to need guests, Dan. Us. He's a smart guy. <laughs> We're going to need guests. And I've got the Jaguars and the Saints. Jaguars, Saints. You have Chiefs and who did you have, Falcons, Rams? Chiefs and Falcons. Okay. All right. So you like the Saints. You like the Saints. Give me, give me the why. I just got to hear the why. Drew Brees. Drew Brees. Drew Brees, Cam Newton. That'll be the game of the week, I think. Oh, easily. That'll be fun. It'll be fun for us. Uh, Breeze is kind of playing. Well, he hasn't watch. sucked, but that team, is, the Saints have been bad for a little while. What are you guys' early Super Bowl predictions? I, I have the Vikings and the Patriots going. You have Vikings Steelers. Vikings Steelers? Oh, oh. I got Falcons and uh, Patriots. Falcons Patriots again for the rematch. Yeah, I would love that. Man, and then everyone maybe would love that. The Patriots could be way ahead and then lose, and the right. Falcons could <laughs> have an epic comeback. All right. Uh, I think lastly we should talk about Carson Palmer retiring. Yeah, let's do it. So did you play with him in Cincinnati at all? I didn't. I didn't overlap with him. I, I cheered him on. He played with my brother while he was in Cincinnati. Okay. So friend of Carson Palmer's family. I played with Jordan Palmer. Jordan Palmer was there. They were, and they were kind of holding him hostage. It was a little like a weird situation because yeah. Carson was like saying he wasn't coming back and he wasn't going to come in the facility. And it just seemed like Jordan, who was on the team, was like, in the middle of like a of a of a custody battle, like a divorce. Or something. Yeah, like if well, if he doesn't come back, we're getting rid of you. Like it was like it was just a weird, yeah. weird dynamic. But no, I didn't play with him. Cincinnati seems to have a lot like that. Like what they're having with Mar- Marvin. Like you should retire, and he's like, I'm not going to retire. You got to fire me. <laughs> they're like, Ugh. all right, we'll keep you. Like it went on for a while with Carson, and finally they traded him. No, yeah. Well, Andy Dalton came in and he played really well, and AJ Green was a beast, and obviously they found this slot receiver out of Canada. Who lit the league <laughs> on fire? That's great. So who like, could forget that guy? Yeah, nobody could. I forgot what his name was, but yeah, he was amazing. Either. He has a statue in downtown Cincinnati, I'm sure. Marvin yeah. Sanu? <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Exactly. Mohamed Sanu. Exactly. Sanu. But yeah, no, Carson sort of quietly had an outstanding career. He was in two obscure places most yeah. of his career. Cincinnati and Arizona didn't get a lot of maybe recognition that he should have, but he, he's had a tremendous career. He was a great quarterback, great talent, man. I think, you know, he's one of those guys that. I mean, that's the thing about the league. If you don't win, especially as a quarterback, to everybody else, stats matter. To quarterbacks, really all all that matters is if you can win. Mm -hmm. Super Bowls and playoff games. That's the only way you get paid. That's the only way, like, anybody talks about you. Um, I mean, people still talk bad about Eli Manning, and he's a two-time Super Bowl winner. You brought up the Hall of Fame before. Is Carson Palmer Hall of Famer? Ah, I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough one. I don't don't think any time close, but then the numbers are just going to keep getting, like, Bigger and bigger, and I think it'll push him down eventually because does he get in before Phillip Rivers or Eli Manning or Drew Brees or Ben Roethlisberger? You know, those guys all won Super Bowls. Exactly. So I, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah, I don't think he's going to get in. The question for me is, is he ever going to be a semifinalist or a finalist? Just because he's never won a Super Bowl, never gone to a Super Bowl. 
I don't think he has a lot of all pros and pro bowls yeah. that would be able to compare with some of the other guys that are going to be retiring around this time that are playing the quarterback position. And he's got some great numbers, but I don't think, like you said, he's not the first guy. He's not even the first five guys that you'd think about right now in today's NFL when you're thinking who's the best five quarterbacks. I couldn't agree more, man. I don't see it. I don't see it happening. So it was interesting. He sort of made a quiet retirement yeah. announcement right after the season, um, right along with Bruce Arians. Mm-hmm. Do you think Larry Fitzgerald's the next one that's going to retire out there? I hope not, man, because he still plays just as good as he did as a rookie. It's amazing. Like it's like he's like the he's like the Tim Duncan of NFL. You know, like Tim Duncan like was pretty much the same player when he retired as he was when he came in. Mm-hmm. Not but a lot of flash. Yeah. Like the heavy dunkers die out. The super fast guys die out. Well, you're just like a steady hands guy, just does everything pretty good and consistently. You're the same player forever, man, and I, I hope he doesn't retire, but I don't know. That decision is a hard one. So you recently made that decision. I made that decision. Within the last year. You, yeah. you sort of thought you were going to retire when you finished in Cleveland, uh-huh. and then you decided to go to camp yep. uh, with New England, and then you retired. What was that decision-making process like? I think more than anything, man, it was like, because when I was here in Cleveland, and kind of like we talked about, it was a tough season, and... You know, I actually had the conversation with uh, the front office, like, hey, I think I'm going to retire. And that was the plan. And then as you get away from football a little bit, and it's like you talk to your family, and it's like, man, I don't want to go out on 1-15. Um, and, I, and I knew I would latch on somewhere like a winner, right? So I came back and had the conversation, like, hey, man, I, I want to keep playing, but I want to I go somewhere where I have a chance to win a Super Bowl. And obviously they were cool with it. They were like, you're old as hell anyway. Um, <laughs> They're like, so, what's your name? You, yeah. Just give us your number. We'll like, Where's your, your visitor pass at? Who are, so, so, yeah, so, I mean, and then going, like, to, the, to New England, it was like, okay, well, I had the feeling that I wanted to retire in Cleveland, but it could have been the, the bad season. Like, it drained you. So I'm like, if, oh, if, I can't, if I can't find the muster to go get a Super Bowl with the New England Patriots and playing with Tom Brady – then it's probably the end, mm-hmm. right? So then the, the knee started hurting me, like, in the summer. Like, it's usually my body corrects. Like, so after, like, spring where your body's hurting because you do a lot of practicing, your body almost knows it's time for training camp. And it, like, it sounds weird, but it automatically corrects itself. Like, things just don't start hurting. They stop hurting at, like, J- July 18th. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the first time it, like, went the other way where things started hurting more. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was just like, you know, man, look, it's done. There's so many things off the field that I'm excited about doing. And it was like including I just, this podcast with your. I'm man, like, Joe dude, Thomas. I could be doing a podcast <laughs> with Joe Thomas and, and the nameless and faceless Dan and nameless, faceless, anonymous Dan. <laughs> and it was just too much to turn uh-huh. down. So I mean, it was, you know, it, it, that decision comes. My brother would always tell me, "When you know, you know." Yeah. And honestly, probably, you know, walking into my last practice in New England, I'm like, this is probably the last time I ever mm-hmm. play football. So I would say the last two or three years, I've kind of taken my time after the season and just gone through that decision-making process. Uh-huh. You know, as the years have gone by, I've become more serious about actually sitting down with my family and kind of discussing pros and cons of keeping going. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought that that decision came down to a three-pronged process. It's, um, do you still love the game? Yep. Are you still playing at a high level? And are you healthy? Okay. I was going to say, is the money good? Yeah, okay, so clearly, no. obviously, if you're in the NFL, the money's probably the money's, pretty good. Yeah, it's good. You know, no matter who you are, unless you're like a practice squad intern or something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> that doesn't exist, but yeah. if it did, the guy position probably wouldn't be paid a lot. <laughs> uh, but so for me, like this last year, I felt like I was really playing well. And I think, like you said earlier, football kind of becomes who you are. It mm-hmm. becomes who you identify with. Coming in here, seeing the guys in the locker room, that's something that 
doesn't get replicated in the business world. Right. It doesn't get replicated anywhere else. Even friends of mine that have gone into the announcing booth or done TV stuff, they, they say that you walk out of the game and you have a weird feeling because you don't know if you've won or lost. Yeah. Whereas in, in football uh, or in sports, when you walk off that field, you've either done enough and won or you haven't done enough right. and you've lost. And you don't get that feeling. And so sort of that emotional high and low that you get from winning and losing is is gone. Right. And so you'll never get that back. So I think for me, the love is, is still there. And so the question out of those three is like, am I feeling healthy enough to play another season? So I, I'm going to take a few more weeks, Yeah. Um, really seriously discuss with – my family and my agent and everybody involved. Your agent? Um, you talk. Is your agent part of the decision making process? He is, and obviously the agent's always going to say, "Oh, keep playing, keep playing." But I think three <laughs> percent um, of eleven million. Yeah, right. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, that's not too bad. I, I think I can send my kid to college for another year." <laughs> I think we can do another one. Yeah, yeah. yeah but and when uh, you make your decision, you're going to break it on the Tomahawk show. Yeah, you, you know, it's most likely I'm going to let uh, nameless, faceless Dan to be the one that <laughs> oh. announces it on the show, <laughs> yes. for good or bad. But um, no, I think it's important to sort of take that time and all the people that have been there throughout your career to give you good advice. And I think your agent's one of them, if you have a good agent, um, to just help you come to the right decision. And, you know, hopefully I can come to the right decision in the next few weeks. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, we'll be excited to break it here on the Tomahawk show. (laughs) Um, Recorded almost live the day before it airs. Exactly. It'll be, it'll be perfect for ratings. Perfect for downloads. Well, I think that does it, man, for the first episode of the Tomahawk show here on uninterrupted, you know, any final thoughts? I need to go have a drink. Yes, uh, let's do that. Can we make that <laughs> a show, uh, like a, a weekly thing for us? Yeah, as soon as yeah, we get done, yeah. uh, uh, the weekly the weekly drink. All right, listen, everybody, we appreciate you tuning in. Remember to subscribe, rate the show on Apple Podcasts, five stars. The scale goes from five stars to five stars. <laughs> so don't even don't even like worry about hitting any of the other stars because they don't work. Um, and wherever podcasts are available. So we appreciate it, man. We're looking forward to talking to you every week. Dan? Joe Hawk yourself.